1: Oh, my. Hello, Han. It seems like an eternity since we've been together. And yet, here we are. Hi. Welcome to it. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. How in the world are you? How have you been? Happy holidays. I hope everyone had a fantastic holiday season. Me? All. Fantastic. If you followed me on Twitter, at JeffyMRA, my Facebook page, Jeffrey Fisher, Instagram, Jeffrey Fisher, you follow all the social media stuff, you kind of know what the holidays were like. I mean, the house, you know, we talked a little bit about before we left what, it, what Christmas was used to be like, and now, you know, you've got to have the big tree and the decorations throughout the whole house, and my wife, and my father-in-law, and the house all looking beautiful, and. Kids wanted the outside. I'm not doing the outside. Sorry. Go look at the neighbors. Yep, they did it. That's fine. I'm the Scrooge. No problem. It's okay. Not doing it. Not doing it because it's going to take someone that has to climb way up to the peak. Just look up for a second. You're wherever you're at. Just look up. See that peak? <laughs> I'm not doing that. Okay. You can look down now. I'm not doing that. So get over it. And, you know, the Maximus was like, well, I'll climb up there and do it. Uh Uh-huh. Look up there again. Wherever you are, just look up there. See that peak up there? Uh Uh-huh. You know how much trouble I get into when that kid falls off of that peak? No, you're not doing that. It's not going to happen. You can look down now again. So there was no outside lights at the Fisher household. But it was a great Christmas anyway. It was fantastic. We had a great time. And uh, what can I tell you? It was fun did you do your resolutions? have you done your resolutions? do you even do re- does anyone actually do you know resolutions? I don't know. I don't know if they do or not. I mean, you think to yourself, well, you know, you got to do better, right? You got to you got to do better in life. You got to do better for the day. You got to maybe t- spend more time with your family. Do you spend more time with the kids? Do you spend more time with each kid separately? Well, I went through some of the, you know, the top New Year resolutions on Twitter, and you know, you get all you get the usual. You got to work out more. You got to be happier. You gotta lose weight. You got to stop smoking. Oh, I, that's something I've been struggling with too, and and I know you and I talked a few months ago, and I and I stopped smoking, and I stopped, and then. You know what happens is you have one. You figure, you know, what the hell. And then you shouldn't do that. You can just quote me on that, okay? You want to unplug. You want to be the best at whatever it is. You want to stop drinking. You want to love myself. You want to work better. Who knows what you want to do. But what do you do? So, the top ones would I never forget to eat your greens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are kind of funny. Others are eh. But everybody wants to have a better year, right? Absolutely. So I hope you have a better year no matter what you do and no matter where you are, no matter if you're in the sleet and rain and ice that I'm in right now. If you're in that, great. If you're not, eh, good for you. But it's been way too cold. I don't even care about the earthquakes. I don't care if this ground and buildings are falling all over the place. I have had it with the cold weather. So whatever we did to tick off Mother Nature, fix it. All right? I'm sorry. I apologize on behalf of all. Make it warmer, please. Thank you, Mother Nature. I love you. Now, I found this fascinating. You know, we all, everybody wants to, obviously, you know, that was part of the New Year's resolutions. We all want to lose weight. We all want to go more well all do better, of course. But what does your body actually do? And some of the things, you know, look, I used to weigh almost 400 pounds. Uh, I lost well over 100 pounds. Uh, you know, yeah, I gained uh, about 30 back. I'm losing some more now. Uh, I'm feeling good, but what does your body actually do? And that's all thanks to Simple2Lose.com, to by the way. Simple, the number 2, Lose.com. Uh, not a sponsor of this program yet. What will happen to your body in 2000? In this year? Any year, really, your body. I found this fascinating. You're going to produce 91 gallons of saliva. Think about that. You're going to roughly have 18 to 25 gallons trillion of your cells will die. Ooh. You will expel about 135 gallons of urine. Your heartbeat is going to beat about 35 million times, if you're lucky. Your hair will grow roughly six inches, whatever amount of hair you have left on your head. Your fingernails are going to grow about one to one and a half inches. Really? Really? You gotta believe they'd grow a bit more than that. It seems to me I'm cutting fingernails longer than that, but I guess inches are quite a, <laughs> quite a long way for fingernails. It's gonna shed about eight pounds of skin cells. So man, when the wife says, "Hey, we gotta wash the sheets," yeah, you do. Gotta wash the sheets. You might even want to think about vac. I never thought about ever vacuuming the the mattresses or anything, but it might be a thought if you're thinking if you're losing that many skin cells and your blood now you know we all know we've got blood veins all over our body so it's going to travel four, almost four and a half million miles through your body Eh, okay that's if you don't cut yourself a blood goes out whoa what does it travel then i don't know a lot more That's just kind of fascinating uh, what happens to your body. And people, once you become aware of what your body does, it's so much better in life, don't you think? Yes, I think so too. 888-900-3393 is the phone number. 888-900-3393 is the phone number. Over the holidays, I also saw that eight planets have been found that could support life. How cool is that? Eight planets. Now, two of them, in particular, are most like what we live in now, Earth. There's one kind of disheartening thing about the whole thing. Well, a couple, actually. But one is that they're, uh, they orbit dwarf stars, which are actually smaller and cooler than our sun so some of those planets, if we ever do get there, may not be as warm as some of the places on this planet. Uh, I mean, I don't know that. I'm just guessing because they say that the, they're smaller and cooler than our sun. Uh, although, you know, <laughs> really, uh, do we need our sun hotter? All right, so eight new planets. Um, the two are cool. Uh, they're in the what they call the, the Goldilocks zone. This is scientific chat, the Goldilocks zone. That's the region most similar to Earth of any known uh, exoplanet that could allow presence of liquid water and temperatures that could survive humans. The Goldilocks zone. Now, they're known as, and we could maybe do something a little bit better. Uh, They're known as uh, Kepler-438B and (laughs) Kepler-442B. Where are you moving to? Oh, uh, K-43, K-438B. Oh, that's a shame because I'm going to K-442B. Come on. Can we call it something else in that, please? You've already called it the Goldilocks zone. Let's come up with something anyway. So anyway, uh, the two planets that are most like Earth, Kepler four three eight b and Kepler four four two b. Now, okay, the other downside to these, uh, the other downside to these two planets, uh, they are. Uh, just
0: uh, just
1: uh, just a, a little ways away from earth uh, you may want to you might be happy with living on the old 438b on the old k438b because that particular planet is only 470 light years away from earth okay so you might say oh, you know what uh, the old uh, k438b doesn't sound bad Because K442B, you know, the one you told me you were going to go to? The 442B? Yeah. Uh, That is uh, 1,100 light years away, Uh, more than double the distance away. So you have a little bit more traveling time. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And since we can't travel the speed of sound, (laughs) we're screwed.
0: You're listening to The Jeff Fisher Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is The Jeff Fisher
1: Show. Hey, welcome to it. How in the world are you? 888-900-3393 is the phone number if you want to use it. If not, just sit back, relax, take it easy. We're here for you. Michael Pelka with Puro Pelka coming up immediately following this broadcast on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo at noon, Mike Slater at three, Joe Pags at six. And you know, uh, so much new programming uh, coming this year on the Blaze Radio Network and If you go to the Blaze Radio Network website, theblaze.com slash radio, theblaze.com slash radio, theblaze.com slash radio, we have other podcasts that you can download as well. So just, you know, go check it out. Don't try to, uh, you know, don't try to think you're cooler than everybody else. Just go there. You know what I'm talking about? Theblaze.com slash radio. Okay? It's very simple. I know you didn't hear me when I talk like this. So I wanted to make sure that you actually heard me, okay? All right. So, I now believe, I wonder if I have a lawsuit against Netflix (laughs) because We've talked about it before on this broadcast. Netflix has ruined me for any kind of weekly show. They just ruined it. It just ruined it. We there there's several shows that I love on that are, you know, week still weekly shows are still on. I still like them. But they just I so difficult for me to watch just one show. Show at a time. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Um, We sit down. You watch a show. And you DVR it. You watch it when you have a chance. And then all of a sudden you realize um, it's over. And you want more. But there's no more to be had. You know, in particular for... Uh, like, uh, one show in particular now that I really just, it has, you know, one show a week and then it goes on a big hiatus and doesn't come back until February 8th. It's about the only show that I can take that doesn't have – you know, it's a weekly thing. And that also that kind of bugs me too because, remember, we got into that. You got into that by thinking that uh, you started watching it on Netflix. So you went through season, what, one, two, and three or one and two the first time you started watching it, and you realized, "Um, yeah, I want to start watching this all the time. And then you have to go back to each week and wait for it. And now we're halfway through, see this season, season five, the halfway mark. It's just, was a pretty good, pretty good season five. Although, I want to, I want them to pick up the pace a little bit. We got a couple of milking episodes in there this past first half of season five that just killed me, Kelby. So let's pick it up on February eighth. We're gonna wait till February eighth. And I was looking back at some of these predictions. Now, the one prediction uh, they asked who who's gonna die? Uh, Who is gonna die? Who do you think most likely? They got all these kind of polls here for questions, and uh, who's gonna die next? And they got down here all and Beth. They say is gonna try. She's gonna die at thirteen percent. Well, not really. Uh, You know, while she was the next one, that is correct, but that's not how she died. That's not how she died. Now she was the she was the next one. That I obviously everybody thought she was going to be the one. She was nineteen percent. She had the most percentage of who was going to die in the midseason finale. You know they were going to they were going to kill off anybody else but her. She, and it was a, you know it was a good death scene, pretty good, pretty good. Although I don't know that it. Um... <coughs> It was a, You know, were you as sad as what they made it out to be in the show? I don't think so. You know, they made it. I know Daryl said, I cried for a day just to make myself all cried out so I wouldn't cry when they killed her in the show. And, you know, the people watching are like, it's going to be Beth. Get over it. She's going to die. Everybody dies in the show. Let's move on. Okay, let's go. Kill her off. Let's go. But there were some great standoff scenes in that last episode uh, with Rick and the people at the hospital. So it'll be fascinating to see what they do now, and I'm sure they're probably going to end up heading to Washington. You know they are Alexandria. That's where the that's where the party is, and I haven't brought myself to purchase the, uh, you know, the magazines yet. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I just don't want to start reading all the <laughs> I just don't want to start reading all the comic books to see if it's exactly like the comic books because we already know that a lot of it already isn't and they're already talking about the spin off shows so let's get this walking dead let's get this over let's milk this for another two or three seasons and then let's be done okay yes let's do that however We still have to wait till February eighth, so I promise no more. I promise, okay, no more walking dead talk till we're with you. You and I are together on the seventh. Then we'll talk about it. We'll promote it, and we'll see exactly what you know what's going to happen. What the scuttlebutt is, what's going on. But I wanted to see maybe if there's an attorney listening. Hey, do we have a case against Netflix? Because they really have ruined me on watching things. And I got to tell you. You know, I, I needed a couple new shows. I've gone through all, their, all the BBC stuff I've gone through. I mean, you get hooked and you stay up till you know, 3 o'clock in the morning and you're watching, you know, six episodes of a thriller and you're finding out that the serial killer and who the serial killer is and you're doing this and then pretty soon it's 3.30 and it's time to get up and you've got zero sleep. So... I don't know that I have a case against Netflix, but it's possible. And a warning to my cable company. uh, Our contract with you, my wife and I, uh, is up in May. And when that contract comes up, unless I get a fantastic deal, and I do mean a fantastic deal, send somebody to the house, pick up your boxes, pick up whatever wires you want, Pick up the remotes and get it out. Okay? Cause I'm done. I, I'm going to internet based world. Cause if I even if I s- spend what? Hundred? 125, 150 bucks on a few different subscriptions to place things around the around the internet to watch shows. Even if that happens, I'm still up compared to what you're charging me, and I'm not even getting all the channels I wanna get. Okay? So, have a truck ready to pull up and take your crap. Okay? Yeah. You heard me.
0: This is the Jeff Fisher Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show is
1: on. It is the Jeff Fisher Program. Welcome to it on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm joined by Craig Gundry, Vice President of Special Projects for Critical Intervention Services. And, Mr. Gundry, how in the world are you?
2: Doing good. How are you?
1: I am fantastic, although uh with all the uh you know the bad stuff going on around the world and one of the things i wanted to talk to you about was uh, the stuff that goes on here inside the US i know we got all kinds of bad stuff going on outside the US and we're worried and concerned and and we need to lock down some stuff inside but most importantly since oh i don't know the cities that uh, come to mind sandy hook uh sandy hook was the last one that was the big school shooting uh columbine was the another huge school shooting, and there's many, many more down the list. And every time it happens, I think, oh, my gosh, aren't these schools on lockdown? Isn't there security? And then I read in your uh, email that you sent me about your new program, the Guardian Safe School Program model, and I think, well, aren't they already doing that? And they're not, are they? I mean, schools aren't really on lockdown.
2: No, no. And, and, you know, in fairness to schools, there's been guidance provided to them from so many different directions. Unfortunately, there's very little integration the advice that's been provided to schools and as a result what you tend to see throughout the country is, is different disparate measures that have been implemented in response to those events and unfortunately often with very little understanding about how effective certain measures will actually be and as a result although most schools have been trying to improve security really at the end of the day very few of these security programs could put, hold up to the test.
1: Okay so I mean do we need to we do we need to have metal detectors at every gate do we need to have uh, I mean is it going to cost us security guards or off-duty officers at every entrance 24-7? I mean, what are some of the easiest things that these schools can do?
2: Well, most of the things you just described are physical security oriented, and there is obviously a very important component of physical security, but really it's a multi-dimensional approach. Part, part of it is uh, is proactive in nature, aimed at reducing potential threats by implementing certain kinds of measures, such as having an effective safe school climate and culture, having an effective system for recognizing, investigating, and assessing threats in schools. Oh, so you but want to profile these
1: students is what you want to
2: do. Well, well, being able to recognize students <laughs> that may be uh, on what's called the pathway to violence, and then being able to assess whether or not they truly are or if there's other issues involved, and then design a management strategy in order to help de-escalate the situation and help them get long-term help. But then there is a very important component to physical security, and that's one area where we find that a lot of schools are genuinely confused. There is, At the end of the day, Physical protection science is all about math, and that math at the end is really built around two important times, and the first time is what's called adversary task time. It means the amount of time it takes for a bad guy to enter into an environment and accomplish his objective. Then the second time that's involved there is response time, and that involves two central elements, one of which is detecting an intrusion, reporting it, it. and then, of course, the response. And if you look at most... I, I'm sorry, but if you look at most events in the past, what you really found was that that math did not work out correct. The adversary task time was less than the response time, and as a result, you know the intruder succeeded. you mean, in right. their uh, uh, objectives. So one of the things that we do is we use actually an analytical approach. Um, the uh, in fact, it's uh, it's a, it's a it's a core approach that's used in physical uh, protection science uh, based on what's called the Estimate of Adversary Sequence Interruption Model developed by Sandy and I I
1: was just thinking about that, the estimated.
2: (laughs) And really what it does is it looks at the cumulative time it takes for, a, for an adversary, whether that's somebody like Adam Lanza coming into a school. How long did it take for him to breach a door? How long did it take for him to get through a window? How long did it take for him to go down the hallway? And then it looks at, from the point that he's detected, how long would it take for a response force to intervene? Right. And then part of the art of designing physical protection in a school environment is figuring out how to cost-effectively increase delay time while decreasing response time. And although that may sound like it's very difficult to achieve, and, and, and I, I, you know, I'll be frank, it is kind of challenging in schools, especially with the kinds of budgets that schools have, right. but I think it is possible.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be fascinated to hear some of the ideas and some of the plans to do that because, first, you've got to know that the person, and I said he earlier, but the person, uh, and it's normally a he, I would assume, uh, that, you know, you've got to know that they're in the school. First of all, you have to know that they're there. So there's got to be some sort of program set up to where, you know, if uh, no matter where a person, an intruder, comes in, you have to know that that person is there.
2: That's the detection. Yeah, detection. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Well, detection is obviously a very important element of it. But keep in mind, too, as we talk about all these different measures, you really have several different categories of threats when we talk about school violence. Fifty-eight percent, according to our study, of uh, perpetrator types are really the insider students, such as what you saw in Columbine. Uh, you so they're, we're right, they're already there. You know, and then 28 percent actually are outsider adults, people like Adam uh, Lanza and Charles Pauls Roberts IV, you know, people like this, that have no direct inside connection to the school itself. So a lot of what we do in the way of physical security is more effective against the outsider adult than it would be against the insider threat that already right. has access. That's where the other proactive measures become very important.
1: Right. Okay, so now uh, do we have a phone in every corner? Do we have uh, cameras set up everywhere do we I mean what, well
2: communication is really important in fact you know it's funny you mentioned communications because that's one area that we find that a lot of schools have uh, problems because uh-huh. uh, you know many schools for example if you have an intrusion into the school it may take three separate phone calls for a teacher to notify all the necessary uh, uh, authorities in order to get an effective response one call to the principal <laughs> another call to 911 and then maybe another call over a public address system for a lockdown and I'll be honest with you anytime you have a situation like this where people's lives are at risk, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in, and they just don't think clearly, and as a result, those complex notification systems fail. It's got to be very simple, right. that's the way we, we really designed our, our communication system.
1: Right, and, I mean, you're going to fall down on one of those, if not more than one, and now yeah, you're you've lost all kinds of time.
2: Exactly, and the way we designed ours is that uh, depending upon the kind of phone system that the school has, they just simply dial one extension it goes straight to our operations center. That professional operator, very similar to a 911 call type system, then mm-hmm. dis dispatches the security officer out there to respond. They then make the public address announcement. They then contact all the additional uh, crisis team members and, of course, notify the local authorities, police, fire, EMS, or whatever it is that's required. This way, the teacher, all they have to do is make the initial notification, and then all that they have to worry about at that point is protecting their student. That's fantastic. And
1: if they, uh, if they already have the assessment, I mean, 58%, you know, I mean, well over half of the students, it's You know, it looks like it's going to be one of the perpetrators are going to be from inside the school already. Then once you know, uh, I guess if you've already laid the groundwork, if you know who it is, then you know pretty much, uh, you know, where they're supposed to be, who they hang out with and what they're, you know, that kind of thing, which is most important in that situation
2: uh yeah yeah it, it's, it's even more proactive than that though it's once we recognize that we have a student that has uh, uh either exhibited behavior uh, warning behaviors as the terms referred to or they may have made a threat that initiated uh it, that will i should say initiate an assessment and then at right. that point various different parties within the school itself possibly even involving community resources would then evaluate situation, looking to identify certain types of uh, factors, risk factors, as it were, warning behaviors, risk factors, and then trying to figure out if there's stabilizing influences in that uh, individual's life. And then we design a management strategy, which really is, uh, part of it is supervisory in nature, but part of it also means engaging the parents and helping the parents, I mean, uh, uh, make sure that that student gets the necessary assistance, and then monitoring the situation long term to make sure that it's not continuing to escalate. Right, That's so, an interesting no, thing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm well, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was just I'm concerned that uh, you know you've got the program, all right, the Guardian Safe School Program, and you've got it set up, and and now you're you're going out to, uh, you know, you're saying most a lot of this is uh, budget oriented. I mean, there are schools, you know, suffering through a lot of things right now, and you know. Uh, because of budget cuts and, uh, you know, budget issues, maybe not cuts. And um, why, you know, is, can't we just go to school systems? And isn't it, wouldn't it be better to have entire school systems set up with some sort of safe program for the children?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of the work that we do uh, right now in this regard is uh, consulting for uh, schools or for school districts that are trying to implement a similar or would like to implement a similar type of program proprietarily, I mean, in-house. The way we designed our program was to really be turnkey for the benefit of clients that that don't really know how to or don't really want to try to figure this all out. Instead, you know, they can just simply hire us, and we put the program in place for them, provide all the training, you know, the, the policy and procedure development, that kind of thing. But a lot of others tend to go the consulting route and instead want that developed internally for their organization.
1: All right, so are um, Are we? Are we? have we implemented in uh, school districts across America already? You've only got one more school district to go, and we've covered everything, right?
2: <laughs> well, I wouldn't quite say that. Uh, no? Oh, that's, that's the point. No, no, not yet, not yet. We're not quite at that point. But uh, I, I'll tell you, you know, John Jay College of Criminal Justice did a peer review on it this last year, which was great. uh, They've actually kind of hailed it now as a model for best practices in school security throughout the United States, and uh, uh, I would eventually, you know, like to see uh, John Jay or maybe some other uh, academic parties helping uh, with regard to getting this information out to school districts so that it's not just, you know, CIF down here in Florida that's doing this, but instead this uh, type of approach would be more universal and available throughout the country because, really, well, at the end much- of the day, these are the most important assets that we have as a community to protect, and it's just really kind of sad that we're at where we're at right now.
1: Yeah, no kidding. But how much of this needs to uh, have some sort of uh, communication with the, you know, with local law enforcement as well, let alone just inside the school districts?
2: Oh, in many cases, that becomes essential, especially if local law enforcement is, has an SRO program in place that provides protection where the response inside of schools. Uh, there's a lot that schools can do that don't necessarily require law enforcement uh, involvement. But at the same time, you mean, uh, especially with regard to the response, you mean, if they have SROs on site, then that has to be an integral part of the whole program.
1: All right. So I want more information. I'm listening and my student is going to public school and not being homeschooled. I need to do what? For your information.
2: Well, if anybody's interested in this and maybe exploring these concepts a little bit uh, deeper, I'd encourage them to visit our website, World Wide Web, CISWorldServices.org. We've got a lot of information up there about how the program operates, and if there's any schools out there that are interested in uh, in adopting this kind of method, they're more than welcome to reach out to us, and we'd be happy to help them out.
1: That's fantastic. Craig Gundry, Critical Intervention Services. Thank you so much, man.
0: It's been my pleasure. Here we go. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Jeff
1: Fisher Show returns on the Blaze Radio Network. It does. It do. It is. 888-900-3393 is the phone number. Welcome to it. Thanks to uh, Craig Gundry uh, from CIS in Tampa Bay. I'm very familiar with that company. We did. Uh, I've known those guys for a long, long time. Uh, and they do fantastic work. And Craig, I mean, what he talked about is great. And if you have children in school, you want that program. Uh, So that you know your kids are safe, right? There's a plan. There's a plan in place. Uh, Just to have something uh, higgly-piggly in there is ridiculous. And your child's safety is, what, I don't know, Uh, important? Yeah, of course. So they found a little time capsule. This is so funny, the time capsule, because when you think of a time capsule, yeah, you, know, you think of something. I don't know. I I guess I think of a time capsule, like something the size of this room or something. You know, a box, something, uh, a big, you know, uh, a, a crate. It just they find this time capsule in the, you know, in the corner of the Massachusetts State House, and it's five, five and a half inches by seven and a half inches by one and a half inches. Okay, five and a half. By seven and a half, by one and a half. Hell, most people in America have phones bigger than that. So, anyway, they find this time capsule. And among the stash, uh, and they, this is not the first time they found it. Did you realize that? I found that fascinating. It's not the first time they found it. They found it uh, in 1855 when they were doing some repairs, and they cleaned it up, and they put a few more things in there, and then they stuffed it away again. So what, another 160 years or so? It's kind of cool. Uh, the coins that were in it were uh, half cent, one cent, half dime, 10 cent, and 25 cent coins. And another set of coins included a pine tree shilling from 1652 and a copper metal Showing George Washington, a copper medal showing George Washington. That would just be fascinating. And I would actually, don't ever tell him this, ever, in your life. Don't ever tell him this, but if I could, I would buy that for Glenn Beck just to give it to him. Because he would love it, and I would love to give it to him. But there's no, <laughs> they would treat this like gold, and it would be more, a lot, uh, it would be cheaper for me to buy bars of gold than to get that for him but I would love to be able to give it to him. But don't you ever tell him that. Oh, my gosh. I will I will not admit that in public. I will not admit that in public. It also... Uh, uh, <laughs> it was time capsule It at newspapers and a little title page. It was also a little silver plate, which they assume was made uh, by Paul Revere. And it was engraved by him. So that's kind of cool, huh? I mean, that's... That's a treasure in itself, the the engraved uh, plate by Paul Revere, uh, who was himself a metalsmith and a Revolutionary War hero, right? Uh, we got the newspapers. So they haven't told us what the what the five news what it said on the five newspapers. I don't even know if they've dared to open them up yet, really, unless they're. You know, I mean, I I guess they have. I just haven't seen what the newspapers said yet. Um, but. It would be really cool to have that. And it might be something to do with your children. us do your own little time capsule. Huh? I know. My wife already came up with that idea. We're going to have to do it. So I've got to make it fun. Right? Of course I do. Of course. Because it is fun. And
0: more of this program, which is fun, coming up. The Jeff Fisher Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
1: Yes, it is. That it is. Welcome to it. On the Blaze Radio Network, 888-900-3393 is the phone number. 1-888-900-3393 is the phone number if you'd like to participate in the broadcast. You can tweet me on Twitter, at mra, And, of course, Facebook, Jeffrey Fisher, Instagram, all the social media stuff. Come on board. But I, I do love Twitter. So, at mra. Uh, Michael Pelka's broadcast coming up immediately following this broadcast. He's probably going to be giving away something. I don't know what. Uh, You know, you never know. You never know. It might be a a button with his picture on it. It might be uh, shoelaces. Uh, You know know what it might be. It might actually be shoe polish. (laughs) The Michael Pelka shoe polish. So look forward to that. Because that's coming up right after this broadcast. And then, of course, uh, you do a little uh, Glenbeck rewind with the Glenbeck weekend. And then uh, Chris Salcedo live, Mike Slater's live, Joe Pag's live, all right here on the Blaze Radio Network. And so much more coming this year on the Blaze Radio Network. So stand by for that information, okay? Yeah. And I know, yeah, 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 there was a terrorist attack. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Boehner was reelected and, uh, as a speaker. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that's the college national championship in a couple days. The NFL playoffs. The road to the Super Bowl starts today. (laughs) Who cares about all that other stuff? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And really, I'm going to be fascinated to see the friend is right here, just down the road, see if there's an earthquake while the game's going on. Uh, It'll be uh, fascinating to see – you know, the crowd, will, of course, will be sold out. Everybody wants to go. I mean, it's Ohio State and, you know, Oregon. The two the two O schools, OSU and ORE, uh, OVO uh, for the national championship. But the college bull season was, you know, exciting. And uh, a lot of teams, one of my, you know, the Missouri Tigers, M-I-Z, Z-O-U baby, uh, they're doing good. They they ended the season great, and uh, you know some teams uh, ended the season with uh, you know some frightening uh, some frightening numbers. Missouri eleven and three, love that. Looking good. When I was a little disappointed that it's going to be Ohio State and uh, Oregon for the national championship, I was happy that Oregon beat Florida State. Unhappy that Ohio State beat Alabama, but Urban Meyer is well worth his salt, no question. I've met him a couple of times. He was he recruited my son uh, when he was head coach at the University of Florida, and uh, in the beginning, my son actually really wanted to go to Florida, and I could tell you a little story, a little behind the scenes story about that someday. Just a you know just a, a weird uh, recruiting thing that I believe no one else will admit it but i believe it to be true urban recruit i'll tell you right now urban recruits his his main belief was that a you got to love football you got to love you know you got to love the game of football you got to be ready to play you got to be ready to work and you got to be from a big school a big high school he get he you know recruits players from big high schools that play in big programs it's one of his beliefs i'm sure it still is ohio state is proof positive that that works when he was at Florida, that, again, proved positive that it worked. So if you were a student at the University of Florida when he was coached from a smaller high school, you had to be really sold, and you had to be sold to Urban from the other coaches. And uh, we met Urban a couple of times, and, and my son played at a smaller uh, high school uh, in Florida, not one of the bigger ones. And so, uh, you know, Urban was questionable on my, and they didn't tell him so. He ended up going to Missouri, which is fine. I mean, Missouri's great. He was recruited by Auburn and uh, recruited by a bunch of schools, and he picked Missouri. That's fine. Uh, And you know, it worked out great for him. Life is wonderful. Not mad at anyone. However, because of the fact that my son. I believe this. This is where this is the road that I'm down now. This maybe this is just me thinking that oh, that's right. My son was good and that's why you did what you did. But the following uh the two years down the road there was another player that was from my son's high school, an offensive lineman, okay? I believe not as good as my son, but still a good offensive lineman. But because my son was already starting at the University of Missouri and Urban Knew that, do that he had failed to recruit my son, which would have been a good recruit for him. Uh, he recruited the other kid. So, because he felt, you know, he felt, oh, maybe this school's got something going on for offensive linemen. That's just my little inside story from Urban Meyer of the University of Florida and the University of Missouri and a little bragging on my boy, Elvis Fisher. That's it. That's it. That's all I got for you. Now, it's the new year, and what do you got? We can can talk football. I'll talk football with you forever. And then you're going to go, Jeff, uh, no. Uh, We can go to the sports station for that. Well, if Doug got it, I could be the sports station. Okay. This could be the sports station. I can do that. (laughs) Don't push me. Don't push me. All right. I've done sports before. I can do it again. Okay. I've got another great recruiting story. I won't tell you this one today either, but I I promise either because I did tell you the other one. I promise I won't tell you this one, but I'll just tease it. I have another great recruiting story from the University of South Florida and my son. Oh, my gosh. That, actually, there isn't any uh, any question about my beliefs or, you know, I think that the coach did this or I think it's all facts. And at the time, I was working for the University of South Florida as a color radio broadcaster for their football program. I I went to all their games. I broadcast their football games. The radio announcer did interviews with the college coaches uh, in the the Big East. Talked to all the Big East. I mean, so I'll tell you that story someday, too. Now, what would you do? How can you say that line without saying a Klondike bar? What would you do for a Klondike bar? I mean, you can't. You can't. But that's not where I was going with this. More protein than beef, more omegas than salmon, tons of calcium, antioxidants, vitamin B. Okay? What do you what do you think it is? It was produced in the special scientist R D lab at Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat Beyond Meat. It's a Plant protein-based performance burger delivers juicy flavor, real thing with none of, now this is what kills me about the Beyond Meat, okay? It is, uh, it says here, hey, it delivers the juicy flavor and texture of the real thing with none, none of the dietary and environmental downsides. (laughs) Dietary downsides, I'll give you. What are the environmental downsides to eating a burger? Really? Really? Come on. <sighs> okay. Now it just uh it's gonna be out here real soon. It's fascinating. He got a bunch of money. Uh this the guy that uh, developed it, um, uh, he talked about dumping, you know, meat a few weeks ago, hard breakup. The more I learned, the more he wanted to get away from The more he wanted to get away from real meat, he said, I knew that every burger I consumed, I was helping to suck America's rivers dry, munching on a fecal casserole seasoned liberally with E. coli, passively condoning an orgy of torture that would make Hannibal Lecter blanch, and accelerating global warming as surely as if I'd plowed my Hummer into a solar installation. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm happy that he made it, and I hope he didn't get any government money. I'm looking through. I was reading this story. It doesn't look like he specifically got any hard money from the government, although it's very possible, very possible, because some of this was done at the University of Missouri. Some of these studies were done at the University of Missouri. We'll see. But I know he got a bunch of money from Bill Gates, But and it's cool. I, I Actually, I can't wait to try it. Because it sounds really good. But this whole thing of, I knew that with every burger I consumed, I was helping to suck America's rivers dry. Munching on a fecal casserole seasoned liberally with E. coli. Passively condoning an orgy of torture that would make Hannibal Lecter blanch. And accelerating global warming as surely as if I'd plowed my Hummer into a solar installation. We all needed to kick the meat habit, starting with me. Livestock, in fact, are horribly inefficient at making meat. Are they? Only about 3% of the plant matter that goes into a steer winds up his muscle. The rest gets burned for energy, ejected as methane, blown off as excess heat, shot out the back of the beast, or repurposed into non-meat-like things such as blood, bone, and brains. The process buries river systems and manure and requires an absurd amount of land. Roughly three-fifths of all farmland is used to grow beef, although it accounts for just 5% of our protein. But we love meat. Yes, we do. And with the developing world lining up at the table and sharpening their steak knives, global protein consumption is expected to double by 2050. Well, thank you for at least fixing that. I get a real problem with the hatred of cattle. And you just, you know, let's just kill off all the cattle because we don't need the cattle. They're inefficient. Now, I do love the fact... In 2009, when the World Watch Institute published Livestock and Climate Change, which carefully assessed the full contribution to greenhouse gas emissions and of the world's cattle, buffalo, sheep, goats, camels, horses, pigs, and poultry. An earlier report by the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization had pegged that contribution at 18%. Worse than cars and trucks now stop, okay, stop, stop, okay, but the beast burger coming out it says in this story January this was from december twenty sixth the story that I found over the holidays. Don't tell my wife I was looking up stories over the holidays because um, that was about the time uh, right around right about that time it was after Christmas. Uh, I, my, I got the question from my wife. Uh, how long are you off? <laughs> uh, it's a few more days, honey, and I'll be out of here. Anyway, the beast burger coming out should be out right now. Uh, in select whole foods, Uh quarter pound, well-marbled USDA ha- ground beef, lovingly grilled at home, served piping hot. I'm telling you, it sounds good. I cannot wait to try this. Better chew. Beef burger is grisly. So hopefully it'll be good. I can't wait. I cannot wait to try this. Because if it's not what they claim it to be, and other veggie burgers have not been. And this isn't really a veggie burger. This is just a, you know, right? It's the, the meat from plants right beyond meat the beast burger they're claiming you know this is kind of like the uh, you know hey it's not it's a veggie burger that isn't a veggie burger and we're making this so we can replace meat so we don't have to have all this cattle to feed people because it's so damn inefficient right so it better be good
0: this is
1: the jeff fisher show
0: on the blaze radio network This is
1: the Jeff Fisher Show. Welcome to it. 888-900-3393 is the phone number. You can join me anytime, 24-7 on my Twitter account, at JeffyMRA. Michael Pelka, Puro Pelka, coming up immediately following this broadcast on this very network, the Blaze Radio Network. Not only is there live programming on the weekends, why you should listen on I don't know um, a Monday through Friday, because you have a Doc and Skip, Glenn Beck, a Buck Sexton, Jay Severn, <laughs> and Patton Stew. I mean, that's a weekday lineup. And so, go to theblaze.com dot com slash radio for more information. Shall you? Yes, you should. You shall. What if I told you, this actually sounds good on the surface, but when you dig a little bit, do you think maybe she's right? If I came to your front door and I handed you a check for $974,790,317 dollars, And 77 cents, what would you say? I mean, that's not $975 million, but it is $974 million and $790,317.77. And the wife of Harold Hamm, I should say, the now ex-wife who's getting a divorce, Uh, said, no, no, uh, you go ahead and put that check back in your pocket. That's not going to happen. Okay. No, uh, no. Uh, she wants a few billion, uh, Harold, uh, Mr. Oil Baron, uh, one of the richest people in the world. Okay. They've been going through this divorce, uh, since 2012, all right. There's a picture of them. I love the picture. The picture is at uh, the Time 100 Gala, a Times 100 Most Influential People in the World at the Cocktail Party at the Lincoln Center, April 24th, 2012, New York City. Sue Ann filed for divorce the next month. It doesn't say the date, but it just says May 2012. So it was like a week later, she was filing for divorce. Now, he has claimed to be worth $18 billion. $18 billion. And you're trying to buy me off with $974 billion. Not even a billion. You're worth $18 billion. $18 billion. I've been married to you for 25 years, you piece of oil garbage, and you're trying to buy me off with not even under a billion, under a billion. You make me sick. Now, he's already paid $20 million. Over the last couple of years, to, you know, keeping her, you know, keeping her afloat, you know, trying. I guess I don't know how you manage a lifestyle if you've become used to a lifestyle of eighteen billion, and now you're left trying to get some money from Mister Oil Baron. You know he's being a bastard about it too, uh, and maybe, maybe deservedly so. She was claiming that he was having an affair, eh, maybe he was hanging out with Prince Harry. You know who wasn't <laughs> who wasn't down there with uh, with Epstein partying <laughs> that nobody cares about <laughs> oh yeah yeah we were all just down there having fun <laughs> he's a good guy anyway he you know i don't know that it doesn't say anything about him being with epstein but it's very possible now she rejected uh, in November, a little bit more than a billion. So now he's pissed and really might've been a bad move because oil prices are down so much now that he may not be worth 18 billion. I mean, oil prices are down now. He might be down to, I don't know, 12 billion or so. So she's, she better take some cash quick. That's just my advice. I'm not your attorney Sue Ann. Okay. But, uh, I would say maybe settle for one or 2 billion right now and take the money and get away. Okay, because oil prices are dropping. And if the whole thing goes to hell, get out and get out now. But how much would you love? I love the picture of the check. I just do. I just love the picture of the check. From the trust and the trustee, name written out. I One day, I want to be able to write this check and have it actually. I mean, I could write the check now. Uh, You know, I'm not going to write it now. What I'd like to do is be able to write it and have it be good.
0: (laughs) That's going to happen. The Jeff Fisher Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Jeff
1: Fisher show. Welcome to it. 888-900-3393 is the phone number. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to read you a story, uh, this half hour before we get out of here. One of my favorite stories of all time. And, uh, just know that, uh, when I read it to you, I love this story. Okay. I love it. And it's a little surprise because I'm going to share it with you later this half hour. Okay. Yeah. it's A little special story that I want to share with you just you okay yes I promise it's just you I promise you know I was talking about uh, uh, Epstein mr. slimeball mr. Uh, I got the uh, underage girls uh, you know massaging me and I've got all kinds of things going on but where does it start well we get the story of the California lawyer dad in San Diego County who throws the big party for, you know, a couple hundred uh, teenagers, his daughter turns 18, he's throwing a big Playboy-themed party for his 18-year-old girl, and they've got the party out the house. I mean, come on, uh, really? I mean, I get it. Trust me. I get it. I got it, okay? Good idea. In theory, in theory, because you know he was thinking, well... I mean, I don't know what else they've done in their life. I don't know. He's Mr. Lawyer. The mom tweeted about it. You know, Happy birthday. Okay. But, you know, of course the police are called and they harassed a bunch of people. And Young kids under 17 are passed out. There's alcohol. Who knows what else is there? I don't know if anybody was having any illicit activity, but I would venture to say probably yes in a Playboy-themed party. Uh, and you know, you're either, you were either thinking, well, I'll let them do it here at my house and they're not somewhere else. Or you're thinking, Hey, I might not think my daughter is that hot, but she's got a lot of hot friends. And if they come over here in this playboy themed party, they might as well do it here so I can enjoy the look. Um, like I said, it's good in a theory because it never works out that way. And once again, it doesn't work out that way here police call people in trouble but that's where it starts and then it goes down the road down the road to Epstein and the prince and his sex parties although now they're talking about the sex slaves and the underage sex slaves just awful just all these guys are really really dirt bags and you know I don't mind we can know what you can't I, I, I know you just they're dirt bags we'll just leave it at that shall we was we'll leaving in dirt bags. Okay. Now, I touched on it a little bit earlier last hour. I know I got it. Okay. It was over the holidays, and I thought, oh, you know, it's Christmas, and I'm home and doing this and that. And, uh, you know, I'll just have a cigarette. Ugh, that was a mistake. Was so it was so good. was so good. That's what I mean. It's so hard. Everybody says cigarettes are nasty. No, no, they're not. It was fantastic. I didn't th- at the end of it. I didn't think, oh man, that tastes terrible. Boy, am I glad I quit these. I thought, wow, <laughs> that was good, and that must be why I. Uh, I like to smoke because they were good. Now, Ow. sorry, I dropped my pen. Um, now, do I want to maybe quit for five or six months and then smoke again? That's probably not a bad idea. I know you're thinking, well, no, but it's better than smoking, right? You're all, everybody's after me. you to quit smoking. Okay. Quit smoking. Okay. You have to quit smoking. You know you have to quit smoking. It's bad for you. It's bad for you. You know it's bad for you. Uh, I mean, how many times you got to hear that it's bad for you? How many times? Well, you know what? Maybe a couple more. Maybe a couple more. And then uh, then we'll see. Okay? Then we'll see. And why is it? I'm trying to, uh, first of all, (laughs) I'm going to stop for just a second because I want to put my charger into my phone. Okay? But I cannot open the bottom of where the charger goes because of the case that my phone is in. You have to pop this thing. And I don't I think the manufacturers need to become more human friendly to pop this bottom piece on your phone so that you can get the charger in there. And I'm really I'm about ready to throw my phone because I have my timer on here timed for the show. And it's really starting to tick me off because I can't get to my phone. <laughs> I'm just taking it apart now. Let's take it apart. Let's eh, take the whole thing apart. In fact, you know what? You know the new case you got me for Christmas, kids. I'm using that from now on. This this old case is going goodbye because it's ticking me off. All right. I just take it apart, take it out of the whole case so that I can put the charger in. You know, some people would say, Jeff, why don't you charge your phone overnight like regular people? Because that would be stupid. That would be stupid. That would mean that I would actually have to have plug it in next to where I sleep. <laughs> oh, I mean, who does that? That would be dumb. That would be almost like what the government spends, don't you think? I mean, like the government spends on your tax dollars. Like, I don't know, a smartphone game to teach parents how to convince their children to try and eat new, healthier food. It only costs $804,000, but the government spent money on that. You know, how about the 400000 that they paid to transport foreign journalists to different breweries and distilleries in the U.S.? That's our U.S. government for you. Fantastic, isn't it? Yes. You know what? They also spent tax money, $10,000, to monitor the growth rate of salt marsh grass. The growth rate of salt marsh grass. ten grand. The Defense Department overpaid. Not just paid, overpaid three point three million dollars for radios for the afghan army that means oh it's just overpaid though that's it they just overpaid for that uh 50 million dollars was spent for information that is mostly available online oh please please government send me i will be happy to look stuff up for you Uh, i can only do it part-time so three million no problem $10 $10 million to produce a video game about five children who must get healthy enough to escape from a town full of obese people and their evil king. Why am I not the evil king of this game? You spent ten mil for Michelle Obama? You know this is what this is. You know that's what it is. It's a game. Oh, my gosh, I have to see this game. Of the video game about five children who must get healthy enough to escape from a town full of obese people and their evil king, I uh, first of all, Michelle, why are you, did you not pay me to be the king of this game? I am the king of the city. Uh, paralegals and a patient trial and appeal board. Paralegals at the patient trial and appeal board were paid five point one million dollars as they watched just not Netflix and. So, oh my gosh, they were just on the clock. They got all this money to work, and all they were doing was just watching Netflix.
2: Unbelievable.
1: These these people, unbelievable. Now, when you look at some of the other spending that's going on from our government, it's a oh, good times. The cupboard is bare. Nancy Pelosi was right. Uh, was right. The company is bare. Uh, but what if a typical family spent? No, oh, I don't know. Money like the government. What do you think? In two thousand fourteen. In two thousand let's use two thousand fourteen dollars, okay? The median family income in the US is fifty two thousand dollars. Okay? Which is pretty good. Pretty good. Fifty two thousand. Uh if they spent money like the federal government, they'd spend sixty thousand four hundred dollars a year. Okay. That means that they'd put up eight thousand four hundred dollars on credit card every year, despite already being in debt. 400000 over 300000 already. So you make 52000 you still spend 60000 which puts you a little over eight forty, $8,400 over, and you're still already over $300,000 in debt. That, my friends, is the United States government. It's a beautiful thing. And yet, when they talk about cutting, they're cutting from what you're paying more than, not what you're making. Okay, And then even if they say, okay, if they cut from the $8,400, these people drive me insane. And then, you know, I know I got it. John Boehner is part of the establishment. Right, John? You keep telling yourself that, big guy. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. Welfare spending is up. I can't read any of this. Welfare spending is up. Everything. I mean, it's insane what our federal government is spending. And yet you and I, we can't live like that, can we? No. No, we can't. One of my favorite stories of all time coming up on the Blaze Radio Network. I read this to my kids at least once a year. I love it. Uh, Michael Pelka coming up. Chris Salcedo, Mike Slater, Joe Paggs, all right here on the Blaze Radio Network. There is absolutely no reason for you to go anywhere else. I don't know if you, uh, if you listen to uh, another classic Moron Trivia. Uh, yesterday on uh, the Glenn Beck radio program, but you've got Dallas and Green Bay coming up today. So you've got football today. You've got cold weather. I mean, build a fire. You've already listened to this show. My gosh, just download it, download it. And you can listen to it again because you know, there was some information earlier on the show that you probably want to hear again, for sure. There, There was right. There was information earlier that information that you wanted to hear. Of course there was. So you just download that and listen to it again. Sit by the fire. And you don't even need to listen to the football announcers. Who listens to them anyway? Who listens to the football announcers? I know I don't. I call my own game. And that's a fact. I can't. I would much rather be calling the games. Okay? So I call the games. A lot of times in my head. But then there are times in my house when I'm just calling the own, my own game. And Boy. I must tell you, uh, my, my family really loves it when I do that.
0: This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher
1: Show. This story from a book back in 1997, I think. Seems like 18 lives ago. Uh, called Chicken Poop for the Soul. You heard right. Stories to Harden the Heart and Dampen the Spirit by David Fisher. No relation that I know of. This story inside the book, however, though I don't think it does that. But you decide. It's one of my favorite stories. I read this to my children at least once a year. And now I'm going to read it to you. It's called Table Manners. There once was a time when the fork was king of the table, proud and alone. The fork ruled his domain and there was peace and harmony on the tabletop. Everything was fine until the night that soup was served. The fork could not lift the soup. He tried and tried, but there was nothing he could do. Each time he dipped Into the soup, it dribbled through his long, thin tines. Finally, the spoon, the fork's oldest enemy. I can lift the soup, said the spoon. Reluctantly, the fork accepted the assistance of the spoon. Together, the fork realized they could even be more powerful. Working as a team, it seemed as if there was nothing they could not accomplish. And once again... Everything on the tabletop was peaceful, until the night that meat was served. The fork and the spoon worked together, but as hard as they tried, they could not cut the meat. The knife, the enemy of both the fork and the spoon, came along. "'I can cut the meat,' said the knife. Reluctantly, the fork and the spoon accepted the assistance of the knife. The knife cut the meat, and the fork picked it up. Together, the fork, the spoon, and the knife were all powerful. Working as a team, there was truly nothing they could not accomplish. And so, for a time, peace and harmony reigned on the tabletop. For it was true, working together, the fork and the spoon and the knife were able to accomplish all that was demanded of them. But then, one dark night, lemon meringue pie was served. The knife said quickly, I can cut it. The spoon said pleasantly, and I can pick it up. But the fork, I can cut it and pick it up. So once again, there was distrust on the tabletop. And while the spoon was busily occupied picking up the lemon meringue pie, the fork whispered to the knife, you know, we don't really need the spoon. And if we get rid of him, there'll be more for us. So while the spoon's handle was turned, the fork and the knife pushed him off the table. For a time, there was an uneasy piece on the tabletop. Then one day, a big piece of chocolate cake was served. The chocolate cake was the fork's favorite dessert. The fork cut into the cake and picked it up. It was delicious. And as the fork cut another piece, he realized he didn't need the knife anymore. So that night, when the knife, had his blade turned and the fork pushed him off the table. And once again, the fork was king of the table. And there was peace and happiness until the very next night, when once again, soup was served. You decide. Uplifting? I think so. I think so. Has anyone, uh, anyone told you you look great today? Well, you do. You look great. Thanks. You're not gonna wear that all day, are you? Okay, okay, hey, hey. It looks good on you. We'll talk again soon. Peace.
0: This is the Jeff Fisher Show.